to Gray Matter, where we're going to explore the trauma of life, therapy, and the brain. I'm your host, Michael Beamer. I'm the CEO of Aspen Neurofeedback and the founder of Aspen Counseling Group. How are you doing today, Betsy? I'm doing great. Thanks. Betsy's my co-host, and she's going to be traveling along with us as we dive into all these different topics that we come up against uh, in basically the whole family of Aspen companies, from the the counseling center to the trauma center, um, the faculty uh, that that works those areas, the different therapists, just topics that come up and and how we also address it in the neurofeedback clinics and the other physicians that also use our equipment. Um, We're gonna just dive into that. That's, That's kind of why we have that tagline, the trauma of life, therapy, and the brain. Why, Betsy, did you choose the name Gray Matter? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Gray matter is a substance in the brain. It's our cell bodies in the brain. It's where we generate things like the chemicals that we use to um, feel good, our dopamine, our serotonin. There's also other types of cell bodies in the brain, and they all work cohesively together for the best function. So are you describing like a muscle? Is it is it mass? So when you say gray matter, it's not liquid. It's actually a substance right. that produces. Right. It is a solid-ish matter. What solid-ish mean? Well, there's like spongy. Uh, not necessarily spongy. More gel-like. Like a jello mold in your skull. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. exactly. Yep. And there's a little. That was a plug for you, Jello. Things. In case you didn't catch that. <laughs> There's, you know, other objects floating around in this jello, and the blobs of jello are interconnected by the neurons. You know, just as a side note, I think that it's when we talk about traumatic, traumatic brain injury. Uh, this morning, I don't know how many of you know, of, like uh, when uh, Tim Tebow was with the Denver Broncos, he would do a um, kind of before pre-game, he would meet with kids that had uh, traumatic brain injury, and one of those young men who. I wasn't planning on talking about, so I'm not going to mention any names, is actually coming back to visit uh, this next week. And he's now 23, and he's still suffering right. from those initial hits uh, in, on his uh, little league uh, football team. And people don't realize that the inside of the brain, it moves so much. And so that, that traumatic brain injury, in a lot of ways, a concussion is kind of like a, uh, a slapping against the inner walls of that skull. I mean, if you ask anybody who understands anything about the brain, you're talking about a very, very soft matter inside this cave of sharp, um, you know, sharp edges, and they just don't mesh well together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting, you know, hearing this, and I know we're off topic just a little bit, I can see John glaring at me and writing notes, Um, but the, um, that, yeah, that pause was because I was reading his notes. The, <laughs> it just reminds you how vulnerable we actually are, like how sensitive the brain is. We're not as invincible, and yet we work with so many young people who are still in the state in which they believe they're invincible. And so we'll come back to that. Going back to gray matter, mm-hmm. it, is all the matter in our brain, I mean, it's just part of it gray and part of it a different color? Exactly. There's gray matter, and then there's white matter. Uh, Think about it like a map. The gray matter are all the little towns, and the white matter are the highways that connect them. 
So are they blended, or you know, a lot of people think it's like one side, right side, left side. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it separated that that distinctly, or is it pretty overlapping? It is the function of our brain is always overlapping. You can't have one without the other. Okay. The that common conception that our left brains are analytical and our right brains are creative is more of a misconception. It's it's never as black and white as that, as we will soon talk about in, in our podcast. Yeah, because that is something that I still hear today from physicians to um, therapists and, and just people who want to understand the way we take in the sensory data we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, we describe the gray matter as this piece where for Aspen and, 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 and all the, the companies underneath what we do, the idea is to, is to help people live better lives, mm-hmm. to understand their past and learn and thrive in the future. And one of the ways that we have started doing that is we've added this applied neuroscience content to all of our different divisions. And so understanding the gray matter, the brain is basically the muscle, not really a muscle, but the, the body, the organ. How, would, how should I describe this? Because it's organ. the organ. It's the window in which we believe that we can help heal. And so pretty much your past, present, and future somehow will go through that gray matter. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about why we have chosen to make applied neuroscience such a big part of what we do at Aspen. Could you get us started? You were, you're really one of the pioneers in helping us understand how to integrate this. Um, I simply came from a place where I wanted to have better results with um, our trauma patients and, and, our, uh, and our trauma clients. And whether they're coming in to see a physician or a therapist, we just wanted more results. We wanted to reach more people at a higher level. And you came along and uh, introduced us to the idea of integrating neuroscience. Can you walk us through that? Like, why, sure. why did you find this so appealing? Sure. Um, I am a neuroscientist by uh, my education, through mm-hmm. my education. That is what I was taught to do, is apply neuroscience to everything we experience in everyday life. I got into neuroscience from the psychology standpoint. I've always been interested in people's behaviors, patterns, why they do the things that they do, but neuroscience took that one step further to me because it explained to me the physicality of why we do what we do. Uh, it's not our, our behaviors aren't something random. We don't just fall into habits and patterns because we do. Uh, we fall into habits and patterns because our brains, the way that our brains communicate, um, creates a physical pattern of thought. It's something real. It's not something abstract. So just like we create habits in yes. the way that we talk. Mm-hmm. Um, like that right there. That's a habit. Um, I say that when I'm thinking um or uh, well. So we create ha- habits in the way that we 
express ourselves, but are you saying we also create habits in the way that we take in sensory data and information through the brain? Absolutely. Everything that we do is based on a brain pattern. Um, so all of our thoughts, all of our behaviors are, <laughs> I'm repeating myself, so this will be. All of our thoughts and behaviors are based on decisions that our brain is making. Mm -hmm. We like to think of ourselves as being so separate, as, as being a separate entity than our physical brains, but we're one in the same. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that, I say I think, and I, I stop myself, because I actually, I believe that this is probably the therapist in me coming out, speaking tentatively. I believe that neuroscience is probably is most likely the most overlooked medical tool that we underutilize in therapy today. And I just want to interject really quickly. Psychiatrists are the only doctors who don't look at the organ that they treat. Hmm. If you think about heart surgeons, um, neurologists will look at the brain. Uh, foot doctors look mm -hmm. at x-rays of the foot. Psychiatrists, no, we just take a shot in the dark yeah. and we accept that as the standard in the profession. Yeah. I, we do. We have become extremely reliant on the DSM series and and the diagnosis through um, through you know qualifying symptoms, and yet there is also many people that have a specific school of thought that you know the faster you get to the root of the issue. Um, that the person's having, you will be able to diffuse the symptoms that they're experiencing in their life. And I think that the neuroscience component does allow us to now see images. I mean, the technology is there. We use it with everyone who comes through. We do these pre-tests, these post-tests. We do imaging of the brain. And you can see where there are deviations and deficiencies that are playing out in their daily life. I don't know if I agree with you that no psychiatrist does it because we have some great psychiatrists right. who are doing it and now they're even looking at gene testing. But I, I do agree that it has been something where we have relied on the qualification of symptoms through the DSM series for a really long time. It's threaded throughout all of our services. But what I'm getting at is I think that the key learning piece for us at Aspen is I think that we are on the just right on the edge of changing the paradigm of how we diagnose, how we treat, and what integration is really about. Um, we've seen in a lot of therapeutic models where they, we talk about integration, we go to conferences and we talk about integration and how to enhance treatment plans, and yet it still all stays within the realm of talk therapy. And now as we see clients and patients come through who they do need pharmaceutical intervention, they, we do need imaging of what's happening and how they're processing alpha waves, delta waves, theta waves, etc., and how it fits into the family system. So I really think that adding the neuroscience, and I, I believe this wholeheartedly, that it's going to put therapy onto a track for a new generation of students and practitioners that we have not seen yet. I agree. It, it's game-changing. It's, um, is it true that applied neuroscience was used with astronauts 
in the 60s. Is that a real thing? Was used, is used, astronauts, Olympic medalists, people who you think wouldn't need mental therapy and support are using neurofeedback to enhance their lives. Okay. It, it's, it is, it's interesting that it's out there. It's all around us. Um, and people are using, I'd say, a small percentage of what it's capable of. Right. So I, I think that aspirin neurofeedback has really kind of pushed the envelope on creating um, not just a system, meaning like the actual technology that can be put into someone's practice, but from the medical practice down to the therapeutic practice or the EMDR practitioner or the CISMD briefer, we have something for all those people, and we have you to thank for that. So thank you, oh, Betsy. Well, well, th- well thank you. <laughs> okay, let's jump back back a little bit because we say that we're going to call this podcast Gray Matter, and that our slogan or the tagline is because we wanted to sum up why we're doing this, and we're going to explore the trauma of life therapy and the brain. Let's just focus on trauma of life for for a minute. Sure. When as a neuroscientist, when I say trauma of life, what, what do you think of? What, what do you consider trauma of life from a brain perspective? Trauma of life, from my experiences here, I've learned that trauma can range from um, just the hardships that you endure throughout life. From a neuroscientific standpoint, mm-hmm. these events impact our brains more strongly than other normal everyday occurrences. You know, our brains are always recording every little thing that happens, even things that we're not consciously aware of. But when those events become heightened, when they become intense, when they cause emotions like fear or uh, anxiety, our brains are on a hyper drive Hmm. in the way that we record that information and we store it and it causes problems down the line. Well, I am really looking forward to talking more about trauma of life. I know from a therapist's perspective, I think of historical trauma, past hurts, past misconceptions, and then I understand the brain uses what worked to help me cope in the past, and it creates a stronger habit guiding my future, uh, how how I interact with those same transitions and traumas Mm -hmm. in the future. And retraining that from the brain level, at the brain level, excuse me, and then also from a cognitive behavioral level, that's, uh, it just, we have seen so much more success with this. And it, we just want to get it out there. So I'm, I am excited about being able to explore this with you and explore what these traumas are, what therapies are treating them, what new therapies are coming to the forefront and can be integrated from that brain perspective to apply neuroscience. Um, so that, I can't wait. So Absolutely. this is, let's, let's wrap up our intro so we can start our next session. Of course, of course. Hi, this is Betsy from the Gray Matter Podcast. Please subscribe and send our podcast to your friends. The more likes, subscriptions, and advertisements we get, the more cool stuff we can explore together.